If you have been with us for a few months, you will know that we're in the middle of a series called Letting People See Jesus. We're probably about six months in, um, and uh, we have reached the point where we're looking at the parables. And Greg got us going last week with the parable of the sower. Very excited uh, about this little portion within our series. And uh, I'm going to be speaking from the parable of the weeds today. And I think God's got something good to tell us. Um, I, for the last couple of weeks, last couple of weekends, have um, seen the necessity to get out in our garden. If you um, are someone who has a garden, um, depending on the size of your garden, you'll understand what I'm about to tell you. But I feel like the last couple of weekends have been a quest for us to try and wrestle our garden back. You know, the hedge was overgrown, weeds growing through the pathways, the grass was long under the trampoline, it was probably about a foot long, um, the flower beds have been taken over by grass, and the, in some places there have been like six foot long bramble arms reaching out from the flower beds. It's been probably a good six or seven hours worth of work to try and bring that garden back to look somewhat good again. Now, if you're a gardener, you'll understand that gardens grow weedy, don't they? And the longer you leave the weeds, the harder it gets to wrestle it back, you know? Uh, so I say that because we're looking at the parable of the weeds. And if you'll remember last week, Greg talked about the word parable, how it's a Greek word. Uh, we don't have an English equivalent, but they made it up uh, because there was no word, and they used the Greek word. And the word parable actually refers to comparisons, right? The parables were comparisons and still are comparisons that Jesus uses to reveal things to us. And he simply shares a story, a life story, which has comparisons within it that, that kind of resonate with our own lives today. Still, as we read the parables, Jesus speaks to us. And so we're going to look at the whole idea of the parable of the weeds, and we're going to try and draw out some truths. So, if you have a Bible, you can turn with me uh, I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 13, verse 24 through to 30. And uh, just to say that Jesus goes into about five parables at this point, which he uses to explain the kingdom of heaven. If you read in the parables, the next few parables, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. So when he talks about this parable of the weeds... He is describing the kingdom of heaven. Okay, let's just put that out there. It's a no-brainer. That's what we're talking about today. But he begins to break down different elements of the kingdom of, element, of heaven sorry, and uses these stories. Today he's talking about this age and the age to come. All right, just remember that. Lock that away in your minds because today we're going to talk about our life and the life to come. Let's read together. <clears throat> Jesus told them another parable. Here it is. The kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed seed in the field. But while everyone was sleeping, 
His enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat, and he went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did the weeds come from? And the the man or the farmer replied, An enemy did this. So the servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, the farmer answered, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with it. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it in to my barn. So today, I want to talk a little bit more about five things. Number one, the problem of weeds, right, and what that means. I want to talk about the question that the servant asked, where did the weeds come from? I want to talk about that today. Then I want to talk about the next question, do you want us to pull up the weeds? I'll talk about that for a little while. Then I want to talk about the harvest and the significance of the harvest for us. And then I want us to make some applications. Is that all right? Lord, give us ears to hear, I pray, as we dig into your word. Please, even now, turn the soil of our hearts so that your seed will fall on fertile ground. Breathe on that ground, Lord, and let it bring life. Hallelujah. So, what are weeds? Right? I don't know if you're like me, but for a while I walked around and I kind of thought that there was... a. a, a a specific group of plants that we called flowers. And then there was a subcategory or a a less worthy group of plants called weeds. And if I went and I looked up the name of a particular uh, plant, it would tell me if it was a weed or a real flower. Do you understand what I'm saying? There were flowers and then there are weeds. I've always wondered, how do you know which one's a flower and which one's a weed? So that's been a bit of a problem for me as I've been going around the garden. I've been having to use a bit of creative license, you know, in terms of what I pull up. But if we look at the definition of a weed, the simple answer is a weed is any plant that is unwanted, okay? If you're a farmer and you want to grow a field of wheat, anything that grows there that is not wheat becomes a weed to you. Does that make sense? Okay, so a weed is not a specific plant, it's just how it fits the big picture and whether it's wanted or productive or not, you know. In one person's garden, uh, they might call these flowers and those weeds, but in someone else's garden, they might like those weeds and call them flowers, okay. But if it's not what you want, it becomes a weed to you and you end up pulling it up. I don't know if you can agree with me, but there is a problem with weeds, Okay, whatever you define as a weed in your garden, I don't know where they come from, but they keep coming back. Amen. You know, and leave them for long enough, they'll just get on with the business of forming and growing and taking over. The problem that I find with weeds, and you might agree with me, is that they are somewhat of competition from that, for that thing that you're actually trying to grow. So in any space, for argument's sake, if... A farmer is growing wheat, 
He wants that field to be so productive. And anything that is eating the nutrients out of the soil is stealing the nutrients away from his wheat. Anything that is growing prolifically amongst his wheat potentially is going to cast shade over his plants and they're not going to be able to get the sun's attention, right? And the last thing is some weeds are so aggressive in how they grow that they bind up plants, they strangle them, they choke them. And actually that thing that you're trying to grow dies, right? They absorb the nutrients, they block out the light and they strangle out the plants if you leave them. There's a problem. Generally speaking, weeds have a negative impact on the plants or the crops around them. Amen. Are we on the same page so far? bit of gardening going on. Our, our preaching has been a bit agricultural for the last couple of weeks, but that's okay. So let's make our application today. What is Jesus referring to when he talks about weeds? Wheat and weeds growing together. He's talking about sin and ungodliness. This fact that you and I live in a world with sinful people. Hello. Actually, we're part of the problem. Right? Do you ever find yourself in the situation thinking, man, I'm good. Those people aren't good. They're not good for this environment. Wouldn't it be great if they weren't here? Anyone ever do that? Thinking that you're okay and other people are not and your behavior is good and other people's is not. Okay? This is the, big, the, the kind of the struggle that is starting to happen now because uh, unfortunately, and I say this deliberately, unfortunately Christians can sometimes get into the place where they wished that they were just in heaven and they didn't have to deal with this life. They wished they weren't surrounded by these pagan people and that's a judgmental phrase. I'm not calling anyone pagan, but if you're honest, there are times when you do find or think that you're better than other people. Amen? Right? There's this conflict going on between wheat and weeds. And Jesus is starting to try and address this problem. And when he talks about weeds, he's talking about sin. He's talking about godlessness. He's talking about sinfulness. He's talking about this age and he's talking about the age to come and how this all works together. All right, we're going to unwrap that a little bit. The second question, or the the, the logical question that the servant asks his master when he sees these weeds growing up, he knows that his master went into the field and sowed good seed because that's logical. A farmer wants to grow a harvest. He's not going to chuck in a handful of weeds amongst his crop because he just wants to reap a harvest of wheat. So the servant comes and he says, didn't you plant good seed? Where have all the weeds come from? It's a logical question, amen? So I want to try and answer that question. You might know this already, but I'm going to say it anyway as a reminder for you. It may be the first time that you hear this. The first point that I want to make today, when the servant asked, where did the weeds come from? Let's agree together, the farmer didn't sow them. Amen. Okay, so if you will, turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 3. And I just want to pick out a few verses and make a few references because this is the chapter that describes what we call the fall. And it's a good context for us to have moving forward in terms of this preach. All right, Uh, in chapter 3, 
And verse 1, we read, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say? I want to pause there for a moment, because this is where all sin begins. When the devil comes, and he says to you, and he says to me, Did God really say. What he's trying to do is get you to doubt the word of God and to try to get you to doubt the goodness of God. If you doubt the word of God and you doubt the goodness of God, you take hold of the reins of your life and you start to make decisions based on your own wisdom. And how many of you can look around the world at the moment and see that process raging. People who have started to doubt the word of God, people who have started to doubt the goodness of God, that he has good plans for us, that his way is the right way because it's the best way for us because he made us, because he knows what's good. Do you see where I'm going here? So let's just pause there and understand whenever sin actually takes place, It's because underlying it, there's a doubt that God is good and that his word is true. All right? If you take sin and you peel back all the layers and you come down to the very heart of it, you'll find doubt. All right? So we're trying to describe where uh, the weeds came from. So we're going to jump down now to... um, Let's go a little bit further. Adam and Eve sin. God catches them in the garden. And uh, it's that point now where Adam and Eve and the serpent are before the Lord. And he's speaking into what has happened, the fall. And he's talking about the results of what's taken place. In verse 14, first of all, God talks to the devil, who verse 1 described as the most crafty of the wild animals. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, because you've deceived man, there's a judgment. Cursed are you above all livestock and above all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. So the devil got judged at that point and God cursed the devil for his part in the fall of man. Then... He turns to the woman, he turns to Eve, and he speaks into her life. And he says, uh, in verse 16, let's jump to verse 16. To the woman he said, listen ladies, for those of you who have had to deal with this, you'll understand why you've had to deal with it now. I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. Any ladies here enjoyed the childbirth process? Right? very severe because she doubted the word of God, she doubted the goodness of God, and she obeyed the devil. Okay, so her body now had to suffer because of that. And then he goes on to say, and I think this is quite interesting as well, God says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Any of you wondered why this whole feminist equal uh, sexual equality thing has become a big deal in our age. 
It never was a big deal because the man dealt well with the woman and the woman dealt well with the man. But as a result of the fall, her desire was for the man, right? And in his fallen nature, he probably lorded himself over her. And from that time forward, that thing has been happening. And women are feeling this need to fight out from underneath men. I think that's an interesting uh, little snippet right there. Verse 17, to Adam he speaks, Because you listened to your wife and you ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat. Listen now, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it. You know in the garden they didn't have to toil painfully for food. They just, it was freely available. They didn't have to think about growing it. It was productive, it was lush, it was nutritious and they just used to pick it and eat it. But since the fall of man, and they were put outside of the Garden of Eden, the Bible says the ground was cursed as a result of the fall, and man, you now have to toil all the days of your life to make the money, to feed yourself, to pay the bills, etc., etc. That is the result of the fall. Painful toil all the days of our lives. It goes on to say... Uh, it will pr- he's talking about the ground now. It, listen to this. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. Do you ever wonder where they came from? Hey? Sin and weeds are related. Okay? Here's a little image that Jesus is chucking out there as a comparison, but actually weeds never existed before the fall. Thorns and thistles are a result of a life lived independent from the Lord. And he says, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Where did weeds come from? That's where they come from. So we talked about the fact that, firstly, we agreed that when the farmer sowed in the field, he sowed good seed. Yes? It wasn't the farmer. The farmer did not sow sin into the world. God did not create the world with sin in it. So that leaves one option from our story. Sin is as the result of our free will. Our choices that we made in rebellion to a loving God who pointed the best way for us. And that happens every day in this world. Every day. People choose to live their lives independent of the Lord and they make decisions that directly affect them and directly affect their families. Decisions that directly affect the lives of people they have never met before and maybe never will meet. Do you remember that Greg spoke last week and he said that your will is so strong, it's something that God has empowered you with that he will never, ever override your free will. That's how powerful it is. You have the choice every day to choose God, to choose his ways, to choose his life, and you'll be blessed. You have the choice every day to choose everything else apart from God's ways, and the result of that will be consequences. God doesn't want your life to be damaged with sin. But we make these choices every day and our lives are lived 
as a result of it. You know, people often ask this question. Maybe you've had someone ask you this question. If God is a God of love, if he loves the world, why does he allow evil men to do the things that they do? Why does he not just exterminate them? Because he respects our will to choose. And in everything in life, we always have at least two choices. Amen? Because if there's only one, there's no choice involved. And no matter how much life seems to stack against us and cause us to have to make a dodgy decision, at the end of the day, we're still choosing to make a dodgy decision. We can make the right decision and suffer, or we can choose the low road and make the dodgy decision because it's easier and because we live in a fallen world and we can wrap it up how we want to wrap it up. We can define it how we... We can justify it how we like. But we never are ever forced to do anything that we don't want to do. Amen. That's where the weeds came from. Point number three. The servant says, right, you didn't put the seeds in the ground. You didn't sow the weeds. Let's go. Shall we go and pull them up? And I find it so interesting what the farmer says. He says, no, leave the weeds amongst the wheat and let them grow together. What? Why? Why leave the weeds to grow? Why leave godless men and women in the earth to flourish amongst the righteous? How is that a good thing? You might be asking, why would God want to do that? Why would he say, no, 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 leave the weeds, let them grow? I don't know about you, I find that strange. Because in my human mind, I don't get it. I, I, you know, it's like, it doesn't seem right, does it? Why should the good suffer because of the evil? Do you see where this is going? I want to try and answer that question today. I want to talk about three reasons why I believe that God would want the, the, the workers to leave the weeds growing and not pull them out. Because he says the danger is that when you pull up the weeds, you pull up the wheat as well. And I want to try and unpack that a little bit. The weeds that they are talking about here, most likely commentators, commentators say, was a plant called Darnell, which when it was young looked exactly like wheat. You know? Only when it had fully matured and the head had grown, the head of kernel, the wheat had grown heads, could you decipher between the two. Okay? And so I want to talk about why God might say, leave the weeds to grow, even though they are not helpful. There are dangers. There are dangers to us trying to weed out the weeds in this world. Okay? There are dangers involved. The first thing that occurred to me because of my own observations of life and my own observations within my garden is that no matter how much I pull up the weeds, there will always be weeds. Amen? That's not a good reason to not pull up the weeds, but it's a reality that in this life, there will always be weeds. In this life, there will always be sin. There will always be godlessness because our hearts 
are fallen because we are born sinful. All right? The only way to get rid of sin in the earth is to take away all the people. Okay? So that's the first point that I wanted to make. Just in case we get this thinking that we can fix this weed problem. We never will be able to fix the weed problem. Okay? We never be able to fix it. The point, the second point that I wanted to make is that to rid the weeds completely out of the garden takes some serious measures. Now, we have a few plants in our garden, brambles. You know what I'm talking about. They grow up all over the place. They are not easy to get on top of. And I think I've realized that in our garden, if we want to get rid of all the weeds, we're going to have to rip the whole garden, all the flower beds up. I know that if I start digging up the brambles, I'm going to have to pull up some plants. Okay? That is a result of trying to pull out the weeds. Other plants suffer. Healthy plants suffer. Innocent plants suffer. Do you understand? What if I think I'm pulling up a weed and actually it's a plant? What if in my efforts to pull the weed out, I uproot that plant next to it? Can you see the dangers that we face with this idea of trying to weed out the weeds? We're not equipped for the job. We don't have the wisdom or the insight. No one knows the heart of a man apart from the Lord. When you look out into the world, are you able to see who the righteous people are and who the ungodly are? Are you, every single time, able to make the right choice about who's good and who's bad? That's our second point. The third point, if you did think you could pull out the weeds because you could tell, is Jesus said a really interesting statement in the New Testament. He said, He who is without sin cast the first stone. Where does that leave us? It leaves us at the point, actually, where we're all lumped together. Remember our definition right at the beginning. A weed is any plant that is unwanted by the farmer. When Jesus, or when God created the earth, he made everything good. Any sin whatsoever, whether it's the tiniest of weed or to the biggest, most entrenched bramble, is a weed, right? And if we ever think that we're in a position to be able to judge who is godly and who is ungodly, we've missed the point of the gospel, have we not? We are a fallen humanity. A little lie in God's sight is enough to separate us from Him. Just as the sin of genocide 
We can justify them and we can say some are better than others, but in God's economy, sin is sin is sin. And if we are going to be in a position to be able to judge others, then the Bible says that we have to be perfect. I'm afraid it's not possible. There are dangers. I've been watching the news this week, and I've seen things in the news this week that have made me ask the question, God, why do you waste your time with us as a human race? Because I am seeing the sin in the world, not as someone who thinks he's better than someone else, but as someone who is part of humanity, and I felt ill to the point that I wanted to throw up. And I look at how the world, how we treat one another, and, I, and I, if God wanted to come and smash this world into dust, I would say, you have every right to, Lord. We are horrendous in God's sight. We will never be good enough in our own efforts. And we can go and bomb this country because they're bombing us. Because we're weeding out the ungodly and we're fighting for our rights. But people are dying. Innocent plants are dying and that's never acceptable before the Lord. We can say it's acceptable. We can call these kinds of things collateral damage. But they are sinful before the Lord. Are they not? And I've watched people taking sides with this side and with that side, and saying, look at these guys, they go for those guys, and those guys go, and I just think, folks, we are missing it all together. We are missing the point. It's not about who's right and wrong. It's about how we relate to our God in heaven. And every time a missile goes over, or a bullet gets fired, and an innocent person dies, who knows, that person may be has lost the chance to find a relationship with God, with their creator, to come right. Why does God leave the weeds in the earth? Not because he's heartless and because he doesn't care. It's exactly the opposite. He loves us so completely that he would only delay because he wants to give us the opportunity to get right with him. If he wanted, he could come today and he'd be completely justified and he could wipe us all out. But there would be a generation of people who would not hear the gospel or have the opportunity to come into a right relationship with Jesus. The harvest. Let's talk about the harvest because I'm starting to get ahead of myself. Let me just allay your fears that people will get off with their sin. No one will. In this life, they might. But there will come a time when every one of us will stand before the perfect judge and have to give an account for our lives. And the Bible describes the harvest. In this story, the angels come and they pick out the weeds, they bundle them up and they burn them. If Jesus came back now, that would begin. That process would start where he would begin to judge the wicked. It would be too late for everybody. We're either right with the Lord or we're in sin. And the weeds will get bundled up 
and burned. God's perfect justice will be meted out. And the wheat will be gathered together into his barn. The harvest will come, folks. And I don't say that as someone who's thinking, I can't wait for this person to get their due punishment. I say that because I want you to be aware. Our time is limited. Our time is limited. In verse 41 of Matthew 13, Jesus says that when the angels come, listen to me, they will weed out everything that causes sin. So sin in itself will be judged. Forget about the sinners. Evil will be judged and will be burned. There will be no evil after that point. There won't be good and evil like we live with this in this life. There will be good and good. There will be no more evil. But he goes on to say that everyone who does evil, all who do evil will be weeded out. So sin and evil will be judged and anyone who at that time is alive in their sin will be judged. Will be judged. Verse 30, we read it. The wheat will be gathered into my barn, Jesus says. And in verse 43, a bit later on, when he explains this parable, he says that the righteous will shine in the kingdom of my Father. There's going to be a separation. You can focus all you like on this age, but I want to tell you, this age will end, and a new age will come that will never pass away. You'll either be in the barn with Jesus, or you'll burn with the weeds. Now that sounds like fire and brimstone, and I don't want it to sound like that, but it's our reality. <laughs> it's our reality today. I want to apply this now. I need to tie it up. So what does this mean for you and me? <clears throat> Number one, I think we need to spend our, own, our time rooting out the weeds in our own lives. Amen? taking the plank out of our own eyes, instead of focusing on other people, let's look with the eyes of the Holy Spirit into our lives and see where those weeds are, where that sin is, and say, God, help me to weed that sin out of my life. I want to focus on being the best that I can be for your kingdom. I don't want to look elsewhere when there are weeds flourishing in my own life. I want to ask you today, are you aware of weeds in your own life that need to be pulled out? Are they taking root in your heart? Remember Greg talked last week about the soil in our lives. You know, we sprinkle seeds on that soil every day. What are you sprinkling on the earth of your heart? Are you sprinkling good seed or bad seed? Are you sabotaging your own walk with the Lord by living in sin when you know the decisions that you're making are wrong? If you can say yes and you're aware of something that God is shining a light on in your life, today is the day for you to say, God, forgive me for this sin. I repent of it. 
Holy Spirit, please empower me to walk like a free man, like a free woman. Amen. I want us to think differently about the world today. My second application. I want us to see the world as a field of opportunity. We can get focused in on all the weeds. And they can take our time and our attention. And we can get to the place where we want to start pulling weeds out of the ground. When we've understood today that God has not called us to do that. Because we're not equipped to do that. We're not the right people to judge. Okay? We're never going to be able to root out sin in the world. No matter how hard we try. Does that mean we throw our hands up in the air and say we just let it carry on? We have to ask God to help us be wise in how we deal with sin. But we focus on our own lives first. The field is a great opportunity for a harvest. What is God calling us to do? Something that is positive and productive. God is calling us to be sowing good seeds amongst the weeds. Amen. Throw as much good seed out there as you can. That's what God wants us to do, to be sowing truth into the world, to be living lives of truth, right? God's calling us to sow good seeds. He's calling us to shine with his love in the earth, to shine on the weeds and the wheat, to love the weeds for him. Because there's a strange dynamic here which doesn't happen in the physical realm. In the spiritual realm, weeds can change and become wheat. If we sow the truth, if we shine the light of God's love, weeds will turn to wheat. And we need to spend our every day trying to see as many weeds turn to the light as possible. So that when the harvester comes, they come into the barn and they don't get burned That's what we're called to. We are called to not fall asleep so that the enemy can sow seeds in our field, but to be aware, to be praying. Prayer is one of the most productive things that we can be doing. When you see the conflicts in the earth, pray for God's peace. Pray that his light and love will shine on these people. Pray that even the the most evil people in the world will turn to the light. You never know who can turn in their dying breath. But if we act out of our own self-righteousness, folks, listen to me carefully right now. We can push people away from the gospel. We can give them an idea of Jesus that is not right. They can make judgments about Christians that are untrue because we're living in the flesh. We're living out of anger. We're living out of fear. We're living out of doubt that God's word is true. We're living out of doubt that he's good, that his plans are great, that if we trust him and live like he wants us to live, good will come. Let's not be a people or a generation who turns people away from the light. We have to live a life that is attractive and loving, that makes people stand up and say, this behavior I don't understand. What is it about your God 
that makes you live this way. Amen. I want to end with a few verses quickly from 2 Peter chapter 3. For those who scoff, let's, let's read. 2 Peter 3, verses 3 to 4. He says, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, Where is this coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on just as it has from the beginning of creation. Have you met people who say, Jesus, he's not coming back. Look at the world. It's just carrying on like it's always been. And they make their decisions about how they live their lives from that standpoint. No one's going to come back and judge the evil. No one's going to come back and judge me. But folks, God's word tells us something different. And on that day, it will be too late. Amen. It will be too late. Some people will say he doesn't care. He's not coming back. But he is. Verses 9 to 10. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Listen very carefully, please, here. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The only reason that he hasn't come back today is to give you and I another opportunity to step into the light. He will come back. He will judge the living and the dead. He will judge the righteous from the unrighteous. We must not live our lives in the future. We must live our lives today. We must not put off this opportunity today and say one day I will get right with the Lord. One day I will begin a relationship with Him, but not today. That, my, folk, my friends, is a very, very dangerous way of thinking. 2 Corinthians Chapter 6 and verse 2. Paul says, and he's speaking of prophetic words. In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the time to come right with the Lord. Now is the time to step into the light. Not tomorrow. Not tomorrow. Please don't make the mistake of thinking that tomorrow is coming. You may not make the night through. That's very dramatic, James. (laughs) That's a reality, isn't it? We all know people who died in their youth, who died unexpectedly. It happens. Can you afford to be caught sleeping when Jesus comes back? 
That is my challenge to you, friends. If you're here today, and this may be the first time that you've stepped into a church, it may not be the first time, but you've never come to the point of giving your life to Jesus, I want to tell you that the grace of God is upon you right now to give you this opportunity. Now His favor is upon you to start the most incredible journey, the most incredible relationship of your life. To turn from your sin, to be counted righteous, not because you suddenly became a good person, but because Jesus' blood washes you and makes you righteous. When God looks at you, he sees you through the lens of Jesus. You are righteous in his sight and forever will be. You might walk out of here and have bad thoughts. You might say horrible stuff. You might act badly and sinfully to other people, but you've come to a place of safety in the Lord. Your soul is renewed and made whole. It doesn't mean that suddenly you've become a well-behaved person. But that opportunity to grow in that relationship begins. To ask God to help you and empower you. Amen. So we're going to spend a few moments worshipping. And at the end we're going to have people who would love to pray with you. But let's just get our eyes on Jesus and begin to start to apply some of these things that we've heard today in our own lives. Amen.